Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. You'd open your Bibles to Mark or to Luke chapter 8, please. You notice we don't have pew Bibles right now because of the virus and keeping everybody safe, but we encourage you to bring your own Bible so that you can follow the scriptures along with us as we look these up. We'll be in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4 through 15, a familiar parable I'm sure you're familiar with. But if we think about what's going on around us all right now, all the confusion, all the the frustration, the uncertainties that are, are happening right now. And it's necessary for us to remember that we are followers of Christ. That we are just passing through this life. We're just sojourners, kind of like Abraham was. He said he didn't have a, a, a mansion. He didn't have a building of his own, lived in tents. But he was looking for that city. He was looking for that city with foundations. He was looking for his heavenly home as he passed through this life. And that should be our perspective as well. Remember, we are just sojourners here, not permanent dwellers, but we're only here for a time. And remember what we're supposed to be doing while we're here. You know, and Sarah's message spoke right to that as well. We're supposed to be the aroma of Christ. We're supposed to be telling others about our Lord. And we need to keep that in mind. Now, there are millions around us as we've watched the TV and seen all the riots and you've seen the the vitriol that's going on with all the election stuff and you see there's a lot of people in this country that do not know the Lord and it's really coming out right now it's like it's really being emphasized at this point in time and we got to remember what we should be about our motto here at Selmore Baptist Church is to pray give go and disciple so we have in that a very good emphasis for us we are to Put our trust in the Lord and pray to Him as He reaches people for the kingdom. We are to go and tell others about Christ. We are to give so that others can go. And then we don't just leave them there. We disciple the new believers that they might grow in Christ's likeness. So that's, we, you may be thinking now, all right, what's this parable about that uh, Bill's going to speak about this morning? It was the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils. Let's read that. And if you would stand with me as we read Luke 8, beginning in, in verse 4 through 15. And you will wonder, well, what does this have to do with evangelism and discipleship? But I think we'll understand once we get through this. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on a rock. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that through seeing they may not see, through hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. 
Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we think about the situation today and think, you know, it's not a time for churches to, to hide. It's not a time for us to shrink back, for us to withdraw. But we need to be, recognize the situation around us and be on the advance for the kingdom of God telling others about Jesus Christ. The parables, which, uh, 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 parable of the soils, which appears here, but it also appears in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. And Matthew has a collection of, God, of uh, parables over in Matthew 13. There's about eight or ten of them there that are just wonderful parables, but this one is the one that's at the front of all it, the first one that's listed. The others you remember, I'm sure, the parable of the weeds, the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, the hidden treasure, the hidden pearl, the parable of the net. All of those are probably familiar to you, but each of these parables reveal a characteristic of the kingdom of God. And so that's why they're important for us to study. These t parables teach the certainty of a harvest. They teach a judgment. They uh, teach the worth of the kingdom. And so all of them are very important in understanding what Christ's kingdom is about and what he is doing. We don't know the exact number of parables that Jesus taught. There's a lot that he said that wasn't recorded, according to John. But he taught this one. Uh, Matthew says it was at the occasion of a crowd coming out of the city. Jesus went out of the city by the lake. And the crowds were so great that he had to get in a boat and cast off the shore in order to get away from them and, and teach them. So he, there's a great crowd that's listening to him at this time. Well, Jesus also taught the disciples how to interpret these parables by giving them an explanation of the parables. And this is one that he explained. He also explained the one of the wheat and tares. There's several questions that will be answered, several questions that you ask today that will be answered by this parable of the soils. For instance, to whom should I witness? That's a question we have. Who do I, who do I spend time telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ? How often should I do this? Uh, how many times should I do this? Well, what if they aren't interested? Do I keep going after them and keep trying to get them? And then why do so many who have made a profession of faith seem to fall away? Why do we see those who are flashing the pan, so to speak, and then we don't see them going on with Jesus Christ? This parable will answer that question. And then, what can be done to help those who have made a profession of faith so that they don't fall away? So that's where we talk about discipleship. Well, parable is not a word that we use a whole lot in our modern communication, but in the Gospels, in the teaching of our Lord, they're quite prominent. The Greek word for a parable means to place alongside for comparison, literally to throw alongside. So it's, 
a parable is a story or word picture that illustrates a spiritual truth. Now you've probably heard it said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's an easy way of remembering what a parable is, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so as we study these, we want to see what is the meaning behind this parable that our Lord is teaching. Jesus taught in, in uh, parables, and these were very interesting for the people to hear. Delightful for the hearers. He had quite a crowd because he was an interesting teacher. He taught with authority. And so they wanted to hear what he had to say, but not everyone was willing to listen and understand it and then to obey. When it comes to understanding parables, we do have a little bit of work to do there. We need to understand that a parable generally has just one meaning, one purpose that it's trying to, to accomplish, one thing it's trying to teach. And so we want to try to understand what that is. We can get in trouble on some of the parables when we start trying to put meaning to everything that comes in into that story and try to say, well, that's the way life ought to be. Uh, for example, take the uh, parable of the shrewd steward. You remember him? He was working for a guy, and he wasn't doing right, and he got fired. But before he left, he went to all of the customers and reduced their bill to ingratiate himself to them. Now, we think, and the, the teaching for Christians, as Jesus brought that out, is that Christians, both followers of Christ, should be as shrewd in spiritual things, should understanding in spiritual things, as this guy was in worldly things. This shrewd steward actually understood how people in the world work. Now, these people were willing to accept his cheating and to favor him as a result of doing that. Is that what Christ wants us to do as Christians? To be deceptive and uh, to cheat? And no, we know that's not what he would have us to do. So we don't take everything in that parable. We take the main point. The point is we need to understand uh, spiritual things and work within those. Just like this steward worked in worldly ways, but we need to work in spiritual ways. Another parable that I find quite interesting and gets a lot of discussion is the one about the buried treasure. Where the fellow's walking through a neighbor's field. You know, the paths went right through the field there. He walked through the neighbor's field and he discovered a hidden treasure in that field as he walked through. He said, huh, I want that. He went back he hid the treasure again so that nobody else would discover it. He went back and got all this stuff together and went and bought that piece of land so that by ownership he would have rights to that piece of, of uh, treasure. Is that what this parable was trying to teach? No, the parable wasn't teaching you ought to cheat and lie and, and steal. No, it was teaching the kingdom is worth a lot. It's worth all of your effort or worth all of your money. It's worth everything to go seek the kingdom. So you can see how we can get astray on parables if we start trying to take everything that's in them and applying that. Now sometimes Jesus taught parables like they were allegories. In an allegory, most of the things in the story have a, a meaning or a comparable uh, item in life that it's, it's speaking about. And, but, so they'll have application for us. And in Jesus' teaching, uh, we can understand that it's an allegory. Specifically, you can be safe and say, okay, this, this parable, like the parable of the soil, I can take that as an allegory and look at the different things and get meaning out of it because Jesus explained it that way. 
He also explained the parable of the wheat and tares that way and gave a lot of detail on that, what each of the elements meant in that. So we can be safe in doing that. And then there are those parables that seem to have an allegorical nature, seem to have parallels to everything that's in it, but we don't have a definite explanation of it. However, we do have context and we have other truth within the scripture that we can apply to that parable and say, oh, that's true. Remember the, the one of the prodigal son. The father is obviously the God figure in this. He's like God. He's forgiving, forgiving of son. As God forgives us of our sins, he's forgiving his son. The older son, the one who stayed with his father and complained that his father was being so uh, free and so forgiving of this son who had wasted all the money, well, he was just like the scribes and Pharisees of that day, the Jewish re religious leaders at that time. And we don't have an exact teaching by Jesus that says that, but it's in the context of it, you can see that that is a, a, a very true allegory in that, that uh, teaching. Well, the parable of the soils is one of those parables that is an allegory. Why? Because Christ explained it that way to us. He gave meaning to many of the elements of it, and that gave it the nature of an allegory. The parable and the interpretation place primary emphasis upon the seed and upon the soil, not the sower but upon the seed and the sower. There is a lesson there for the sower, or from the sower, but we have the farmer who is sowing the seed. He's walking through the field, and he's just casting the seed out everywhere. Some falls on the path, some in the thorns, some on the rocks, and some on the good soil, and he's doing that. And then the, the seed takes various roots depending upon the type of soil that it was in, and it, only though the seed that is upon the good soil grows on to maturity and produces fruit. So that's the basic summary of the parable that we're looking at. In verse nine, we're jumping down to the middle of that passage that we read, verse nine we, and verse eight, we have a understanding of why Jesus was teaching in parables. He said, verse eight, the end of that, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, now that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? If you got ears, well, that's what they're for, to hear. Some of us don't hear so well, but uh, what he's talking about, if you have ears to understand, if you have a willing heart that wants to understand these things, then pay attention. Pay attention to this. And then in, as he he's, uh, moves on to verse 10 there, it says, uh, in verse 9, it says, The disciples asked him what his parable meant, and he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. And he goes on and says, so that, and then he quotes Isaiah. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when he says secrets, he's not talking about something that you can't know and something that uh, you can't share with anybody else. Secrets, in a biblical sense, means a mystery, something that hasn't been fully revealed to you or fully revealed even to the public at this point. But it is not something that's truly hidden, but it is something that just isn't understood at this point. So he says, the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. Jesus has spent a lot of time with the disciples explaining these things to them. And he explained that the understanding of parables would only be by those who were seeking to understand with a pure heart. 
You can imagine the crowd that's following Jesus here. He's, was, Matthew says it's a large crowd. Jesus is out in a boat teaching them. And there's all kinds of people in there. The religious leaders were following him. There were some who were the disciples, some others who had made a profession of faith. There were others who were just following, trying to learn. They were interested in what was going on, maybe, but not committed to Christ yet. And then you had those objectors, those who were the, the religious leaders who didn't like what Jesus said, didn't like his message, and didn't like him because he claimed to be God. So he had things stacked against him by those people. So as he's teaching, he's teaching in parables, and he says this is fulfilled in verse, verses, uh, verse 10. Though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Now Matthew gives a fuller reading. This is a passage from Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Matthew gives a fuller reading. He says, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And when we read that, we think it sounds like Jesus is hiding his message. He doesn't want some people to understand, and he doesn't want them to, to uh, come to belief in him. Well, that's not exactly true. He does want everybody to understand, but he realizes that some of these people in the crowd have already hardened their hearts, and they aren't going to listen to a thing that he says. They've, they've come to the point where they have a blatant refusal to respond to God. They're just not going to respond to Jesus' message, no matter what he says. And God says if they would repent, he would heal them. And so Jesus was applying this to those stubborn leaders of the Jews at this time. He was not teaching parables to keep people from believing. Now you can imagine if Jesus would make a statement and these guys were antagonists, were in the, in the uh, listening group, then they would be saying, well, that's not true, or that's a lie, or that can't be. They'd be arguing with him all the time. But in teaching in parables, they couldn't do that. They couldn't come back with a, a disruptive or argumentative statement because they didn't understand what he was talking about. And it was pretty clear, all right, this guy throws out seed, it goes on certain different ground. Okay, that's, we can't argue about that. But what they missed was the spiritual application of it. So he, he was able to avoid that by teaching in parables. But he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of God has been given to you, the disciples. And Jesus' followers then had ears to hear, they had ears that would understand, and they should apply themselves to Jesus' teaching and hear with understanding. And that's a lesson for us out of that as well, to listen carefully to what Jesus has said and seek to understand it. You know, this parable, as I was reading through Luke uh, earlier this week, and I came across this passage, and I thought, wow, this... I've heard, read this so many times before. Let me slow down a little bit and go through this. And it just spoke to me again. And I hope it will to you today as we go through this. Some of these teachings get so familiar to us that we just skim right on by them. But we need to take our time, go down and meditate a little bit on it. All right, let's go into the passage now, beginning in verse 5. And then the explanation, verse 11, says, A farmer went out to show his, sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. 
farmer walking through a field. And we think, well, the way fields are done today, we plow them up and we manicure them and get them all ready to receive the seed, and then we plant the seed in the, in the ground. Well, there, they were walking through a field, had been prepared, but still there were all kinds of other things around. He's, he's just casting the seed out as he walks along. He's sowing the seed. He's not drilling a hole and putting the seed down in the, in the hole. He's casting the seed. And if some falls on the path, some on the good soil, some on the, the thorny ground, some in the rocks. But he's just dispersing it, spreading it everywhere. Now in verse 11, he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So if we think about the seed then being God's word, what are we to do with it as believers? Well, we're to be casting that seed. We're to be sharing the gospel with those around us. We're to be giving it out to anyone that we run across. We are not to say, well, do I think that person's ready to receive this or not? This illustration would not teach us to do that. This would say, share it with anybody that you come in contact with. Anybody that God puts in your path, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, too often, though, and I hear preachers do this on, uh, on sermons, and uh, we talk about this ourselves, and we say, you've got to share the gospel. And we might say to somebody, you need to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lost people don't know what the gospel is. They don't know. That word is not something you can use that they would understand and give them a full body of meaning. You need to be specific with that and tell them exactly what the gospel is, that God created man to serve him and to obey him, that all people have sinned, that they've rebelled against God. Use the Roman road if you want, Romans 3.23, that sin brought death into the world and the result in eternal death, eternity in hell for the rebellious person, Romans 6.23. And you can never do enough to earn your, your salvation. You can never do enough to earn your way into heaven. So don't even think about that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Never by works so that no one can boast. Then go on. Say everyone because of their sin is condemned to go to hell. Everyone needs a savior. You and I need a savior. And God has provided that for us. God himself came to this earth in the form of Jesus. He came. He followed God's will implicitly. He was sinless. He did not disobey God in one thing. And because he claimed that he was God, they had him crucified. They crucified him because he, they claimed, he claimed he was God. And he died on the cross, the scriptures tell us, to pay the price for our sins. This is what we need to be telling lost people, these details of the gospel. Don't just say the word gospel, but tell them. And tell them that on the third day he rose again, proving that he was God, proving that his sacrifice paid the debt for our sins, that God accepted his sacrifice. He walked upon this earth for about 40 days, had many witnesses of his resurrection, and then now he reigns in heaven. And he's there to give us eternal life as well. We need to give that kind of detail when we're sharing the gospel. A lot of our tracts that we have don't really portray the proper understanding of the gospel. They're just a little snapshot. And they might get somebody interested, but we need to go further with it and be more specific. But definitely don't just say, you've got to believe the gospel, unless you explain the gospel to them. Well, to, who do we share the good news with? To everyone. 
everyone that God puts in our path, just like that farmer, he's throwing the seed everywhere. Sow that seed. Share the gospel. Yeah, a little word of truth sometimes, all you get to give them. Uh, something that God is good, or Jesus Christ is faithful, or something. There's all you have time to give them sometimes. But if they're interested, you might be able to share the full plan of salvation to them. Well, some of this soil, or some of this uh, seed falls up on the, on the path. That would be uh, verse 5, as he's scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Well, you can imagine that. You used to throw any seed out on your sidewalk, but it's not going to grow very well. You throw it on a path where people have walked through this field and compacted the soil all through there, and the water just runs off of it. The seed cannot get into it and develop any roots. So it's just not going to produce anything. And then birds come along and eat that. Well, he explains that a little bit more. In verse 12, he says, Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. These are those he was talking about that have no ears to hear, no eyes to see. They don't want to understand. So the devil just takes that word away from them. It doesn't, it doesn't soak into them. It can't take root because of their hard hearts. You notice in this uh, how many times should we tell somebody about salvation? How many times do we go back? Do we keep trying to pursue those? Should it be just one time? Should it be seven times? Should it be 70 times seven? How many times do we share the gospel with someone whose heart seems to be hard and doesn't seem to have ears that hear? They're just not willing to listen to it. Well, our Lord taught the disciples in Luke 10, taught them to move on. So that when he sent them out on a mission trip. And he said, when you go into a town and they won't receive what you're saying, then just shake the dust off your feet and leave. Well, shaking the dust off your feet is like saying, we're through with you. Your blood is on your hands, not on ours. We've done our job. We've shared the gospel. That's our job as believers, to share the gospel. Share the truth of Jesus Christ. Share the full meaning of the gospel, the understanding of it. But to move on. There are many others that need to hear the gospel. Now, as often as that person is brought back into your life, share it with them again. And someday, maybe they will. Their heart will soften as we pray for them, as we continue to lift them up. But basically, the blood, their blood is on your hands. You're only responsible for an accurate transmission of the truth of Jesus Christ and his salvation that he offers to each of us. That's what we're responsible for. Well, secondly, the seed may fall upon the rocky ground. Verse 6, some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Well, verse 13 gives the interpretation of that. Those on the rock are those who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. You've experienced that if you've planted any grass seed or you've planted a, a field and you know that seed that falls off on the edges in the rocks is not going to last very long, especially around here when the topsoil is not very thick. If it just gets a, a very thin layer of soil and there's solid rock under it, that grass you're going to have to re-sow it and it's not going to do very well anyway. So that's exactly what he's talking about. Some They'll spring up. They might have an initial interest, but then they fall away when 
persecutions come, when difficult times come. They may seem semi-receptive at first, but they make no serious commitment to Christ. And then in the end, they do not bear any fruit of salvation. You're expecting to get a crop out of this. You're sowing corn, you're sowing beans, whatever. You're throwing it out there for them and, or wheat. And you expect wheat seed to come off of that plant. There's not going to be any seed that comes from that plant because it's not going to mature and bear fruit. We find that many come under conviction of their sin when they hear a powerful sermon. Revival time that we used to have in the old days. Boy, a lot of people walked the aisle then. Sawdust trail, if you remember that. You ever been to tent revival with old wooden chairs and the sawdust trail? Actually, that's where I made my first profession of faith. My only profession of faith <laughs> to Christ was on, in a, on the sawdust trail. Well, a lot of people walked the aisle. But why aren't the churches full today if there was such a movement of of people, if there's such a revival. Why do we see that? People have an initial interest, but then they fall away. Well, they come to, and do that because they're under conviction, but then they fail to go on with Christ. They fail to continue through with Him. They may pray to be saved. They may make a profession of faith, mainly because they don't want to go to hell, or maybe you know, the way our gospel tracts were written is so you'll have a good life, so you'll have peace, well, those are true, but is that the main emphasis of it? Of why we should be sharing the gospel? We should be sharing the gospel so that people want to glorify Christ through the way that they live and bring glory and honor to Him. Again, those on the rocky ground bear no fruit of salvation. Then there are the, the seed that falls among the thorns. Verse 7. Other seed fell amongst the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Uh, he explains that in verse 14. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Well, you, you keep a garden, know that you have to keep pulling the weeds out of it. You have to make sure that it's a good place for the plants to grow because those weeds will take the nutrients right from your plants and choke them out. These seeds he's talking about sprout, they, may, they grow, but they don't bear any fruit because they're choked out by all the thorns and weeds that are around them. Again, they made a profession of faith, but then the worries of life, thoughts of prosperity, thoughts of, of financial issues, and other desires choke out their spiritual life, and they don't continue faithfully with Christ. They're spiritually unfruitful. Then finally, this is the part you've been waiting for, right? Verse 8, some falls on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. In other words, each, each seed bore a, more, a hundred more seeds. And then in verse 15, he explains that. But the seed on good soil stands for those with noble and good heart. In other words, those who are interested in, in pursuing it. They hear the word, they retain it. And by persevering, they produce a crop. Well, in, in Matthew's account, he said they produce 100 times, 60 times, or 30 times. Mark said 30, 60, or 100. But here we have Luke saying 100 times or just a crop. But the point is that those who are believers, who are the good soil, who are receptive to the truth of God's word, 
and want to obey Christ and follow him, they will produce fruit. This brings up the question, well, who is saved and who is not? As you look at each of these illustrations, are the ones on the, on, on the rock, on the thin soil, are they saved? How about the ones with the thorns choke them out and they no longer continue with Christ? Are they saved? The good soil, we can say, yeah, they're, they're saved. If they're bearing fruit for our Lord, they are, they are saved. But John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, says of those who do not continue in the faith, he says, they were never one of us. Now, we believe as Baptists that once saved, always saved, because we know that the Holy Spirit, once he comes to dwell within us, is not going to let us go, and he's going to continue until he makes us into Christ's likeness. The Word is going to do that. God's God, uh, Holy Spirit working in us is going to do that. So we believe that, but then John explains, well, why some people fall away? Well, they never really made that commitment to Christ. So they never truly became a Christian. They didn't lose their salvation. They just weren't with us during that time. 1 John 2.24 says, See that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. That's quite a warning from the old apostle. See what you've heard from the beginning. In other words, the truth of the gospel, as was explained in detail, that they had heard from John. See that they retained that. See that they stayed in that gospel. Otherwise, he says, you're not going to remain. The corollary to what he's saying here is, you won't remain in the Son and in the Father if you don't remain in his word. So quite a serious warning. We really can't determine who is saved and who is not. Only God knows. But it, in discussions, it seems like we try to explain the minimum requirements of what it means to be a Christian. Some say, well, all you have to do is believe uh, the facts about Jesus, that he was God, that he uh, died on the cross, that he paid the price for sin. Just believe that, and you're saved. Well, that word belief in the New Testament means to have faith, to have faith in Jesus Christ, to put your trust in him, to depend upon him for your salvation. Our Lord goes on to say in John 14, 21, those who have my commands and obey them, they're the ones who love me. Oh, Jesus is pretty explicit about it. If you, to follow Christ, to be saved, some want to try to differentiate between one who is saved and one who's a disciple. I don't think there's any differentiation. One who is truly saved is going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So why do we focus on the minimum requirements when what the true believer is going to be focusing upon what can I do that really pleases God? What does God really want me to do? Not that we can do any works that are going to do, but how can we be obedient to him and really bring pleasure to our Lord through the way that we live by being the Rome of Christ in the, in the community? How can we do that? That's where we should be focusing. What does Christ want? How can I be pleasing to him? Because I love him. I want to glorify him. He's my creator. He's my savior. We all need that savior. So, in summary then, to whom do we witness? We witness to everybody that God puts in our path. Everybody, everybody that God brings into our presence, we witness to. As we said, we're not responsible for the response, but we're responsible for an accurate transmission of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some are going to be like the soils in the parable. And yet this will help you understand why some don't stay with the Lord or why they didn't receive it initially. 
and you know how you, you can pray for them. But then we ask, well, what can be done to stop this, to uh, help someone who has made a profession of faith and to keep them from being one of those that's on the, on the rock, on the rocky soil, or one that's in the, uh, uh, amongst the thorns or troubles of life, because we're all in those. What can we do to keep those people from falling away? You know, many times when people make a profession of faith, they don't understand the whole gospel. They don't understand the truth of it. They need to be taught more. That's why we use that red book that many of you have seen, Good News for You, because it walks them through the plan of salvation and shows them what Christ is really offering in salvation and in his forgiveness of, his sin, of our sins and what he has done for that. So we need to disciple new believers so that they understand the truth the whole truth of the gospel, and that they might be able to stand firm. We've got to give them some grounding. They need to learn to get into God's word and learn the truth of that so that they aren't led astray. They need to learn how to pray so that they can communicate with our Lord and understand from him. We need to be about discipling others for Christ. Some may, new believers may be genuinely converted to faith in Christ right away. And I've seen that. I've seen people who just immediately made a change of their whole life and wanted to start reading the word, wanted to start praying, wanted to start fellowshipping with other believers. And they're just so happy in the Lord because they truly come into a love of Jesus Christ because they understood that he saved them from their sins. He forgave their sins. But everybody else, those people as well, but everyone needs encouragement, need grounding in the word as they move along. So lessons for us today, be prepared to share the gospel accurately and to teach each others further. Disciple them that they might grow in Christ's likeness and not be likely to fall away. We have those resources available, as I said. So just please see me about that. Well, in just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of commitment as we prepare to, to go, but I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful parable that you've given us, for all of your parables, Lord. And pray that you will bring this to life to us again, Lord, that we might read it with understanding. We might have ears to hear and eyes to see that we might be good witnesses for you. And, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not made that profession of faith, I pray that they will make it today, that, that they might follow you. And, Lord, that we might do a good job of discipling them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.